Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University podcast as we continue our recaps of The Mandalorian. We are recapping ch- Chapter 13, The Jedi. And uh, joining us today, one Jake Christie, our super producer. Jake, how are you? I'm doing well, but I'm not the important person joining us today, so keep going. <laughs> and once again, uh, Jerome Chang has the quote-unquote night off. In other words, he's busy working. But we do have a special guest. Man, there are so many different ways to describe this guest. But let's just say this. He is on the jump. He is an ESPN front office insider. And he also hosts Black Opinions Matter. He is a co-host of Cinephobe, the one of the best podcasts out there today. He's just all over the place. He has so many superlatives that, you know, I feel like I could go on all day. But in this case... A Star Wars aficionado, one Amin El Hassan. Amin, welcome to the program. What's going on, guys? Also, I'd like to throw out there patreon.com slash count the dings. If you are a Patreon member, I have a Star Wars specific podcast on that. It's called Darth Amin's Rule of Two. Uh, we talk about everything, but obviously we're talking Mandalorian as well over there. So just, you know, if you're if you're interested, go ahead and check it out. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And um it, that's uh count the dings uh check out that patreon and we'll start off with this and i and i wanted to go directly to you i mean um considering the tenor of how the mandalorian has started uh not only season one but obviously season two just feels so different we were introduced to bo-katan uh mandalorians and now we're getting not only we've seen also boba fett in the first episode this season this past episode, we got somebody in Star Wars canon from the Rebel series and the Clone Wars series, Ahsoka Tano, played by Rosario Dawson. I mean, I guess this is kind of like a two-parter. First, what have you thought of this season thus far? And secondly, what do you think of us now being so immersed in the Star Wars canon? And how do you feel how it's fit thus far on the screen? Yeah, you know, it's weird because season one was a lot of introducing us to new people, introducing us to Mando, to Cara Dune, to Grief Karga, to the child. Uh, Everyone was new. Moff Gideon, everyone, all the villains, all the the characters, even the big characters, they were all fairly new people with, for the most part, new planets. Obviously, we did see Tatooine. So... Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, this is brand new stuff, right? And then this season, it's like, okay, we're going to start introducing people that the old heads know who, but obviously because Mandalorian as a a TV series is wildly popular, it's attracted. I don't don't know how you guys have have experienced this, but I've noticed a lot of my friends who for years said, I'm not going to watch Star Wars. It's dumb, da-da-da. They're all in on Mandalorian. Yeah, um, and so I'm, yeah, I, I was gonna say that AC is starting to watch the TV shows now. I was always a big Star Wars movie guy, but in the, I'm gonna get some hate for this on the internet. I've always had a hard time getting into cartoon TV shows, so I never watched those. Right. But yeah, so I think that there, I think there was a good mix of people who are like not big Star Wars people, people who just like the movies a lot, and then people who are immersed right. in everything because it's so absolutely, absolutely. You're, you're, that's exactly how it's segmented. There are people who are never Star Wars people, but for whatever reason, this show appeals to them. There are people like, I'll watch all the movies, but I ain't going to watch all them TV shows. And then there are people like me who just con- have consumed every bit of Star Wars uh, possible, right? <laughs> or actually, there are, people, there are people beyond me. There are the people who read books. I don't read books, so I, mm-hmm. I, I'm myself am not quite the highest level of Jedi Master when it comes to Star Wars stuff. But the point being is this season has been a lot of introducing the people that people like me knew and loved. Like, oh, it's so-and-so, oh, it's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. But for many other people, particularly for the people who have zero Star Wars knowledge, it's kind of like, what? What was the big deal? So, for instance, Boba Fett. Jake, you as a movie watcher, like, oh, shit, that's Boba Fett. But there are peop- the people who are watching Mandalorian simply as the Mandalorian are like, I don't get why everyone's freaking out that some bald dude is here at the end. <laughs> Conversely, this last episode, last couple episodes, seeing Bo-Katan and now seeing Ahsoka Tano and Ahsoka Tano invoking the name of Grand Admiral Thrawn, it's like, you know, I'm damn near bust a nut for me. 
but for you guys, it might be like, um, I kind of maybe have heard these names, but I'm not really familiar with them. I think the thing, though, that the show does really well, though, with those two characters is that I think, especially with Ahsoka Tano, it having not known this obviously i knew that she was an extended universe character just because there's so much fanfare about it but like you get pretty quickly that she's important and it's not lost on like i it, it wasn't like why is this orange person important like you can i immediately could tell like oh whoever this person is even if she's not in the show beyond this episode clearly the way that they're introducing her like the way they shoot her the way that she's treated like they do a good job of it's not like the characters in Bo-Katan too. It's not like Bo-Katan or Sokotano are like cool Easter eggs that for people who are not familiar with them from the cartoons, the show makes you feel like they're important too. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. They, I mean, they definitely treat it with a level of <gasps> dun, 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 <laughs> right? They're presented as such, even if you're like, I don't get what the big deal is. So Ahsoka's introduction and just how she's total badassery. And of course, because the Mandalorian, much of Mandalorian season one and, and indeed season two is very grounded and gritty. Our introduction to the force are very sparingly used and also are not grand demonstrations of it. Even Baby Yoda lift, or I guess we call him Grogu now, Grogu lifting <laughs> the, uh, the large rhinoceros-like beast in season one it's still a very rudimentary use of the force like stealing candy and stealing the joystick top thing off the gear shift or whatever it's all very rudimentary uses of the force and this last episode was our first time in mandalorian's kind of uh context of seeing someone who actually knows how to use the force use it so she's slices through a dude through a tree and then pushes the piece of the tree out and hit somebody over there she grabs the rifle of one guy and hits the other guy with it like these are all like high level what i like to call you know uh there's a difference in gross motor skills and fine motor skills gross motor skills is picking up a box fine motor skills is taking tweezers and picking up a grain of sand grow uses gross motor skills with the force and uh ahsoka uses fine motor skills as well as gross motor skills so it's it, it, that was fun to see yeah we're, we're definitely going to get into that into the whole grogu situation in a second which was was an, not only an interesting reveal but kind of it, it's 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 funny how i i you know i see grogu slash baby yoda from season one and talking about how Ahsoka didn't want to train him was really, really interesting. And, you know, she talks about all the elements that right. that leads a, a possible Jedi warrior to the dark side. And it brings me back to season one, episode seven, where, where Cara Dune and Mando are arm wrestling. And I guess what, what you call it, Baby Yoda slash Groku saw that it seemed like to the outside to him that there was an issue there. So he force choked her. And right. it, it goes into that whole attachment thing that Ahsoka's talking about. So thinking about the whole Korgu thing, what did you make of that? How Ahsoka was so hesitant to train him because she sees the attachment. And obviously um, in canon, we know Ahsoka to be the apprentice right. of Anakin Skywalker. How did how did that come off to you? I thought those those scenes were very well done in the explanation. Yeah, so that that the backstory there is a obviously the whole the the trial of Grogu slash you know his testing and and then subsequent rejection by Ahsoka is very reminiscent to Phantom Menace when they found Anakin. They brought Anakin before the Jedi Council. His his wielding of the force or like the force was very strong in him. And yet Mace Windu said, we're not going to train him because they sense the attachment to his mother and the fear of losing her and basically opening the door for anger. Right. Um, there's a reason why they get Jedi younglings very young. Cause they don't want you to have already, uh, you know, uh, adopted attachments to people. Because if you do, then it's like, well, you know, if you do, then it opens the door for you to be emotionally attached and be emotionally angry. And, and yeah, everything you're about go kill some Tuscan Raiders that uh, exactly, 
Exactly. <laughs> everything about the Jedi is to be emotionless. There is no emotion. Everything is about balance and peace and, and making cold, rational decisions. And the path to the Sith is all about, no, 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 we're going to use our emotion. We're going to be angry and we're going to use our anger to be powerful. And that's like the, the, the constant struggle. So there's that part of it. But then obviously what you just said, AC, is is that specifically Ahsoka knows because she knows what happened to her master, who was someone. It wasn't just, oh, that shit happened in the Phantom Menace. It's like, no, no, I know. I trained under that guy and I saw him turn into the absolute worst of us, the best of us, literally the best of us, the most powerful force wielder ever who was a good dude and cared and cared about people. And, and, and this is the part where, for the listeners who are not familiar, like Ahsoka and Anakin had a very close loving relationship, not a romantic one, but like a parent and a child. Um, so she knows, in the same way that Luke Skywalker knew, there's a good man in there. But she saw it turn into the absolute worst of us. And so much in the same way that Mace Windu was turned off, much in the same way that Yoda was turned off of Luke when Obi-Wan first to Dagobah, Yoda made all the excuses. I can't train him. He's too old to start the training. Uh, he's, I sense much fear in him and fears it. All that shit. They all said it about Luke. They said it about Anakin. They're saying it about Grogu. And so there's a nice little circular tie in there to Jedi philosophy that's pretty consistent throughout all of the canon, but also for for Ahsoka, literally she saw someone that she loved as a as a father figure become the worst. And obviously there's that one of my favorite scenes in all of all of Star Wars was in season two of Rebels when she fights Vader and she tells him, I, I'm not going to leave you, da 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 and and he tells, you know, because there's a moment where she cracks his helmet and you can hear him say her name, Ahsoka, and it sounds half like James Earl Jones and half like whoever does the voice of Anakin on the on the Clone Wars. And she's like, oh, my God, it's Anakin. Like, I finally reached him. And she says, I'm not going to leave you like I did last time because, you know, long story short, she quit the Jedi Order. And then you you see his eyes squint and he says, then you will die because he's a, such a son of a bitch or whatever. <laughs> and he kills her. He kills her, and she she comes back to life through a very creative way later in Rebels. But for, for all intents and purposes, she saw someone that she loved who loved her basically say, no, I don't care about any of that. So she, when she looks at Grogu, she's like, I can't train him because I'm not going to make that same mistake, which, by the way, is the same mistake that Luke Skywalker makes when he trains uh, Ben uh, Ben. Ben, uh, ben, Solo, ben Solo. Yeah. Ben Solo. I was gonna call him Ben Skywalker, but he's not a Skywalker. Ben Solo. Right? <laughs> well, Jesus. you know, they, they ended. Anyone could be a Skywalker these days, I guess. Right. I mean, but he, 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 he ignores. So, like, he ignored, Luke ignored all the warning signs that Mace Windu didn't ignore, even though they overruled him. That Yoda didn't ignore, even though I guess it didn't work out because Yoda's wrong about everything all the fucking time. And that, <laughs> you know, uh. And Ahsoka doesn't ignore when she looks at at Grogu because he has this real attachment to to Mando. And this it's a lot of fascinating stuff. Um, we're gonna get back to the episode in a second, but I do wanna go more into Ahsoka and also the also kind of the timeline. I started watching Clone Wars uh, a couple days ago, so I'm like on what am I on? I think I'm on episode three, and that's where. Uh, both Anakin and uh, Ahsoka are going after General Grievous. And so it's just like the really just the start of me getting immersed in this this whole scenario. So I understand the Mandalorian timeline to be five years after Return of the Jedi. So now, where does this take place? I don't know if you know for sure, but I'm just curious. Where does this take place in... In not only uh, in, in Rebels lore, I should say, because Rebels is, is a little bit later. No, Rebels is earlier. Rebels takes place oh, okay. before Rogue One. So Rebels is what happens between Episode 3 and uh, Episode 4. And before we knew that there was a Rogue One coming, we just thought that this was the gap years, basically. Um, but it, it turns out because, you know, they did a good job. They... Um, they, it all flowed together. It, they, they did a good job of integrating Rebels into the Rogue One storyline. So that's why we see Saul Guerrero, who's in Rogue One, in Rebels, 
voiced by Forrest Whitaker. That's oh. why we see there's a bunch of stuff in Rogue One. Like, for instance, uh, remember how they got, like, the uh, the bulldozing hammerhead Corvette? Yeah. That mm-hmm. pushes the, de- the incapacitated Death Star into the Scarab Shield and all that. That ship was stolen in Rebels. Like, you see mm-hmm. when they acquire that ship. You see when they, like, there's a bunch of things that happen in Rogue One that have precursors in Rebels. Uh, there's actually a scene in Rogue One where they're on Yavin 4 and there's, you know, droids rolling around Chopper from Rebels rolls across. There's another scene where they're getting ready to go to war and you hear over the loudspeaker, General Sindula, uh, you know, please report to the da-da-da. General Sindula is Captain Sindula in, in, in Rebels. And I remember watching Rogue One and hearing that and I was like, oh, they gave her a, a promotion. It was like a really cool thing. Like, so... There's a, a a lot of you know rebels and Rogue One intertwined intertwined there in the same time, whereas Mandalorian occurs off after the fall of the Empire, but obviously empires don't fall overnight; they they crumble. So mm-hmm. it's right. a crumbling. Right, right. We got all the remnants of of the Empire that are showing up in various episodes this season. Uh, yeah. So far, now, it's been really now, fascinating now, now, to see. Couple, couple of things, real quick. Geographically, yeah. where they are, they're in the outer rim. The Outer Rim is basically, if you think of the Star Wars universe like the United States circa the 1800s, right? <laughs> if you're in Philadelphia, New York, in the East Coast, it's very modern and it's very close together and sophisticated, et cetera, et cetera. But the farther you go out, the more rural and the less, the more lawless it becomes. And the Outer Rim is like the Wild West. Like, yeah, shit happens and organized crime rules this place. And even under the Empire, no one really has a real strong grasp of it. Um, so that's where it's happening geographically. The other thing to keep in mind – oh, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, so that's where it's happening geographically. Mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say that I think that that's a good point always to point out that it's the Outer Rim. Because it's the criticism that I really hate that The Mandalorian gets and even like the – the third trilogy got was like, how does everyone not know about the force? Uh, you know, how, why do they all think it's a legend? It's like, yeah, your metaphor of it being the United States in 1800 is absolutely right. Cause it's like, yeah, if you were a pioneer kid in Portland, Oregon in 1802, you didn't know what weird shit, you know, yeah. Congress was getting up to, like, you know, <laughs> like, oh yeah, like, I mean, think about like the people in Texas, you know, what Ju- the Juneteenth holiday, mm-hmm. uh, commemorates it's the people in texas who found out that slavery was ended like five years ago or whatever <laughs> like they were still slaves well past 1865 they just yeah. didn't know because or, news yeah. doesn't travel fast it's no, I mean, the same thing famously you know, and like, there was a battle in the war of 1812 like three months after it ended because yeah. they didn't know it's over yet yeah it happened all the time there's, you know there's that and then there's also you think about like People know the Empire fell. Do you think they really know that there was a guy and it was actually that Darth Vader's son was the one? They don't know any of that shit. They just know, oh, like the rebel, the rebellion finally did it. Yeah. They're not, they're not intimately familiar with who's involved there, let alone like the mysticism of a religion that's been dead mm-hmm. for at that point at least 30 years. Mm-hmm. A, a strong 30 years, the Jedi have been gone, right? And even before then, if you look at the last days of the Jedi, and and Clone Wars does a good job of of illustrating this, people were like, these guys are corrupt assholes. It was one of those like they weren't really well liked at one point, you know, when they were everywhere, obviously. And and the Separatists had a point. It was like, why are we paying taxes? Like, why are we paying these tariffs on on this trade or whatever? So. It's weird because it was a, a fake war, it was a proxy war created all by Palpatine to justify the commission of a clone army that he would pre-program to hit a button and have them kill all the Jedi. But on a ground level, like those were real conflicts. Like the Separatists weren't evil; they were just like, "Fuck it, man! I don't want to pay these tariffs." And the Republic was bloated and and kind of overarching, and the Jedi were the most visible arm of the Republic and these generals, these generals are fucking bringing war and conflict to my planet. Right. I didn't want any other shit, which is why the Mandalorians are like, fuck these guys. Like, (laughs) you you can't tell us what to do, but 
over time you realize, oh shit, like Palpatine played everybody. But then he goes on and he erases basically everything that they ever were. So even if you were in a core system, you might know about the Jedi, but you've gone under like state sponsored brainwashing that they were bad and they were corrupt and everything's much better now under the Empire. And and that's if you've heard of them or if you've even seen them. But for many of these people, particularly in the Outer Rim, the Wild West, they've never seen or heard any of these people, let alone of the Force. Think about what, like, Han Solo's Force. I've flown all over this galaxy. I've seen all types of shit. I ain't never seen anything that make me believe, like, he sees a motherfucker do this shit, like, yeah, that's lucky. That's the general prevailing notion of the Force throughout the galaxy. In the later trilogy, we see that people kind of know what it is, but Luke Skywalker is like Paul Bunyan. He's this mythical mm-hmm. character that does all this shit, mm-hmm. and, like, the Force. And that's why, like, you know, like, Luke Skywalker is like, what do you know about the Force? And Ray's like, it, you can move rocks with it. It's like, he's <laughs> dumb as hell about it, right? Same thing with uh, in Force Awakens, when they're, like, they're trying to break into Starkiller base, and Han Solo's like, what's the plan? And um, Finn says, we'll use the Force. He's like, that's not how it works. Like, it's not just, <laughs> you don't just fucking say, oh, please, Force, do it for us. And <laughs> Everyone is ignorant of it because nobody, you don't, you know, these people aren't walking around for you to know a whole lot about. No, there's so much, there, there's so much to discuss regarding like the, the, the whole season. So just back to this episode, um, I was just curious about not only these, uh, this magistrate people who were, who are just another like an imperial remnant. Uh, they were interesting. That was fun seeing Ahsoka Tano fight. Uh, very again, like that was so well done. The fight scenes on that show are really, really good. They do really good job with their their action pieces and, and things like that. Were there any were there any other aspects of this episode that you found like really interesting that you took uh, took from it? Ahsoka Tano explaining that uh, Korgu was taken from the Jedi Temple right when uh, Order sixty six was happening. Uh, any other interesting things from the episode for you? Yeah, well, well, Thrawn, if Ahsoka Tano is the greatest Star Wars hero who's never appeared live action before until now, then Thrawn represents the greatest Star Wars villain who's never appeared live action until I guess at some point, I'm guessing maybe it's next season. I don't think they'll bust their nut twice in one year like that but it, it almost feels like i mean uh, not to cut you off it almost feels like they're setting up ahsoka for her own series just like it feels like everybody's getting their own series who who's a, a sub character on this show grief karga and cara dune they feel i feel like they've been setting that up for a while i mean yeah. my mando impression is going to go off the charts then mando <laughs> <laughs> that's a good pretty good grief karga right there <laughs> I yeah, about that. So Greek hey, Karga definitely strikes me as someone who enjoys calling people by nicknames that he's given them. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I described when we were recapping the first season, I said that Carl Weathers, and I love him for it, his performance is just him eating a big ham sandwich every scene. Oh Mendo! The contract. <laughs> <laughs> love it. He's the best. Oh excuse me. Awesome. <laughs> um Oh man. The, yeah, you yeah, were saying to me. For me, it, it it's the, like I said, Thrawn, and Thrawn being just—he was such a great villain in Rebels. He became ultimately became the main villain of Rebels, uh, and this was a character who was part of the extended universe who was not canon because he was part of the books written by Timothy uh, Timothy Zahn in the early '90s, uh, books that I did not read. I just want to be clear there. Um, but uh, you know, after Disney bought star wars they like basically drew a line in the sand like everything these this 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 is canon all this other stuff we're going to call it legends so all this extended universe stuff we're going to call it legends meaning it's not canon but we reserve the right to adapt it into canon so uh the planet tython that um ahsoka tells mando to take the child to the jedi temple there that's actually a legends planet it was in the legends. It is the birthplace of the Jedi Order. Now we know now that through canon that Octo is the birthplace of the Jedi Order. So now Tython becomes just another holy place, much like Jeddah, much like uh, a lot of the other uh, kind of things that we've seen in the last few years. Um, 
So Tim, uh, Timothy Zahn writes his book, Thrawn, and he is a, an admiral in the Imperial Navy, and he is a brilliant tactician. That's his whole thing. He's really cold and calculating and is great at doing doing math and figuring out, like, anticipating what the opponent is going to do. And it makes him into this grand chess master of a military leader. Um, and it, well, we last see him in the last episode of Rebels where he gets sucked into a worm and... He doesn't die, but he just disappears. But apparently mm. now we know he's still alive because Ahsoka's looking for him. That also explains why we haven't seen Ahsoka in three movies, right? Like, Ahsoka, you were around right before Rogue One, four movies. We didn't see you in Rogue One. We didn't see you in New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, or Turn of the Jedi. In fact, this entire rebellion, which Ahsoka was a part of at the beginning, has not had any Ahsoka right. presence. So how do you explain that? You explain it if she's on a mission of her own trying to locate Thrawn because Thrawn was sucked in the wormhole with the young Jedi Padawan Ezra Bridger. And so presumably she thinks if I find Thrawn, I can find Ezra. Um, it, it, to me, it's, it's great. I don't necessarily care whether it is an Ahsoka spinoff or if mm-hmm. this is just the Mandalorian expanding its universe. The idea that we are going to get closure and finding some of these people and find them uh, and most most importantly, the introduction of more animated characters into real live action uh, people. I think that always makes the Star Wars universe richer. And then finally, obviously, under the guidance of Dave Filoni, who has created Clone Wars and created Rebels and is pretty much, according to everybody, is the foremost Star Wars expert other than George Lucas about what is canon, what isn't, where the story should go, where the story has been, et cetera, et cetera. Rodan directed this episode. Rodan directed this episode. You you've seen him as the other X-wing pilot uh, when uh, when Mando got pulled over by the cops. Basically, he was the other one who says, uh, "Can I talk to you off the on the other channel for a second? That's that's Dave Filoni. Um, he, he's brilliant. I've met him before. He's great dude, um, and he deserves a lot more. I would say a lot more p- power within the Star Wars." actual universe not like the universe of the characters but like the business mm-hmm. uh because i think he makes great content every time i mean yeah it's, it's it's yeah pretty clear based off of this um he's done a really good job of kind of expanding and giving us a little bit of an explanation uh for us novices in in here with the context of what's been happening in this show thus far uh, jake i wanted to ask you what were your takeaways from this episode and and continuing on this this journey that for the first time to me yeah. kind of felt like now Korgu and Mando we may be getting closer to their splitting up. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. I was happy to learn his name's Grogu. Um, my first note is, and this is to show the difference in analysis you get on the show. Just some great sounds coming out of Grogu this episode. Just making a lot of great noises. Big fan of all. Like honestly. Just some of the best noises he's made. Um, the thing I love about Mando as a show is the, and I talk about it a lot, just the small casting decisions they make. Obviously, I'll get to Rosario Dawson in a second, but it's awesome just to see Michael Bean show up out of nowhere. Um, I don't know where he's been for the last couple of decades, but, um, you know, because he kind of, he's kind of stopped acting like the mid-90s, but just to see him Kyle, show up is really awesome. Kyle Reese. Kyle Reese. Exactly, from Kyle Reese. I think he's my favorite Mike Monroe. I love him as uh, Johnny Ringo in Tombstone, um, but uh, he shows up. But I think that the casting of Rosario Dawson, as I understand it, I mean, you can confirm this. She was for a long time like the fan casting for Ahsoka, right? Yeah. Yes. She yeah. has strong resemblance to Ahsoka. Yeah. So that's, uh, and, and by all accounts, she's really into the material and stuff like yes. that. Yes. And I think with a character like that, uh, and it's something like this in general that's just so important, and it just felt like it felt completely of a piece. Um, I'm so excited to see what they, I, I want to spin off of that character just because I think that um, it would be she. I think like I don't want to say she deserves, but like I kind of want to see how she operates not in the context of whatever's going on with Mando and Grogu, but. Um, yeah, I thought this episode was also like a great example of what Mandalorian does so well. Is that even though there are all these canon things that it's bringing in and different characters introducing and the ideas it's exploring that we just talked about, 
the plot of the episode is actually like the same kind of thing as most of the episodes are where it's I can give you this thing if you do me a favor. And <laughs> we were able to get that to and like and, uh, I, and a I lot mean, of not not only that, Jake, not only that, but also I'm altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it anymore. Like, yeah. There's a lot of deal altering in yeah. Star Wars. Everyone fucks a lot of grifting. Over. Yeah. A lot of grifting of Mando in the series. Yeah, he just he has to take a lot of like a lot of crap if he does something for someone it's like, actually no I can't. But yeah, I think that that's really, and I think that's a great way to organize the series because it is a way that, uh, as I've said before, like you, you know, it feels like it, every every episode's building towards a specific endpoint, but every individual episode has a satisfying ending. So even though all, most, if not all of the questions, uh, if any any questions about you know what's going to happen have been answered, we did have the satisfaction of okay, this town's free, and that's always fun to see. But yeah, I think that. Um, also, just like the the way this episode was shot and the direction of it, particularly the fight scene between uh, Ahsoka and I forget her name, um, like the oh, head, right. the magistrate, magistrate. Uh, Morgan Elspeth. Yeah. yeah, that was just like high level stuff, and was like I've said so many times about the show, just stuff you don't see on TV normally. Um, and even the way that they introduce Ahsoka, it really is like if you didn't. If I didn't know that the character they're introducing was a good guy, you would think that it was like a villain, because it's like she's like a ghost, and I think that that's so well done. Where you have like there's you have no illusions about how powerful this character is. It's like it's she's like predator, um, and I think that that like all those little things are just so well done, and it's just a joy to watch. It really is just beyond all the other st- other stuff we can discuss i think that what you're talking about with dave filoni being involved is so great and i think the reason why the show works so well is you have dave filoni and then you also have like one of the most commercially successful blockbuster filmmakers uh alive working together and it's like oh of course they're gonna make something that is super deep and has a ton of connections so, but also you know, like, super entertaining do you know their, their their history i do not so um the original first marvel movie iron man or first mcu movie iron man was written and directed by favreau favreau was mixing the sound at skywalker ranch because like it's generally considered the most cutting edge kind of like facility or whatever so he's mixing down the final cut of iron man at the same time filoni is mixing down the final cut of the clone wars movie the animated movie that spawned the television series the clone wars um, and they're working late nights, and Favreau's a big Star Wars fan. He's always been a big Star Wars fan. And so Filoni was the first person who didn't work on Iron Man who got to watch Iron Man. And Favreau was the first person who didn't work on Clone Wars who got to watch the Clone Wars movie. And that's how they struck a friendship, and Favreau's always professed like a desire to do Clone Wars stuff, to do Star Wars stuff, but just didn't work out. Obviously, he has a lot of uh, responsibilities within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so he just couldn't get it done. And finally, like this opportunity came up to work with the guy who basically is the 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 Favreau of Star Wars, and 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 it's a match made in heaven. It's also, the, you know, if you watch the making up of season one, you know that George Lucas actually came on the set a couple of times and gave feedback and direction and stuff like that so it, it is the most authentically star wars probably vehicle since since the prequels because this is the first time george has had uh input again oh wow that's it yeah that's a that that's a lot to take in and it does feel and, and just watching it as somebody who's obviously watched the movies but doesn't know entirely the whole the whole canon of the story to see the way that this show has been done so far has been really, it, it's been truly, truly something amazing because I, as you said at the beginning, I mean, I didn't know if I was going to be like into it, like, uh, like a lot of people who know the canon and who are in, immersed in that universe, but it's, it really has grabbed me not only from its direction, but it's uh, not only its scenes, but the characters are interesting and it makes you want to get to, know them more and also but, by the way real quick one of the things that oh, what were you real, gonna say real quick real quick not to cut you off because yeah, i just yeah. remembered right now uh jake was talking about the direction it's very very heavily influenced by samurai movies uh filoni is a big mm-hmm. samurai movie 
you know, Kurosawa kind of a devotee. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the stuff that he does, obviously during animation, it was one thing, but now he gets to do live action. There's a reason why it looks like that. the Japanese garden where the magistrate fight with uh, mm-hmm. Ahsoka happens, the way they pace around each other. A lot of odes to Kurosawa and another kind of samurai film, Japanese filmmakers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, there's just this this element. And, and I think it's interesting because I, what I was transitioning to there was I wanted to ask you a question that we've been talking about on this on this show, about this show uh, so far. There were, at least initially, when episode two happened with the whole spider and the frog lady and stuff like that in terms of pacing some people like really wanting more and stuff like that i i have felt for the most part that this show what it does so well is it's pacing you don't ever feel like it's at least to me it it does never feels like it's going too too fast and it never feels like it's going like too slow yeah there's kind of like mission of the week episodes they've kind of figured out the formula and also advancing the plot at the same time how have you felt about about the pacing of the show i'm always left wanting more uh i'm always left like wishing the episode was a little longer we got a little bit more which i guess is the sign of a very well done show right like you're always wanting more and i'm also frustrated by we don't get scenes from next week because i actually like that i i don't i want (laughs) to know i want just give me something to look forward to and i guess they do but they always do this kind of misdirection where it's like we're going to introduce a concept at the end like oh we're going to see and then like the next episode is never about the thing that they just introduced the next episode is a filler episode which is funny because the last episode before this one episode four or episode uh 12 was a really interesting episode but technically like once you've seen this one they didn't realize oh that one was just filler they were just teasing us there so, you know, I, I but I, yeah, the pacing is, is excellently done. And I love this is the, the magic of the streaming service TV show. It is not bound or constrained by network television. That it has to be an hour. Or it has to be 30 mm-hmm. minutes. So we got some episodes. And I do love this about Mandalorian. Some episodes are 45 minutes. Some episodes are 37 minutes. It's whatever it takes to get this story told. We will tell it in that amount of time. And I do enjoy that because I. That's what leaves you feeling like the pacing is always perfect because they're never having to rush stuff to fit everything in and they're never having to stretch to like meet a certain time quota. Right. And shoot, while you're here, I I figure I should ask you more about like you mentioned chapter 12. What do you make of the whole Moff Gideon? uh, Grogu is a clone. This lab that's happening the these uh, super troopers that are at the end of the episode there's a lot of stuff happening there and it feels like all of it's going to converge as we get closer to the season finale what did what did you think of uh, of that being introduced and what does it entail uh well i think well first of all i don't think grogu is a, a clone i gotta keep saying grogu because rogu is a character in american dad and i don't know if you guys watched that <laughs> rogu is also like a small childlike cute figure but Grogu's also a little slow. So Grogu, I don't think Grogu's a clone. I, th- I mean, we, we know he's not a clone. He's a, he is a youngling who was in the Jedi Temple on Coruscant when Order 66 went down and he was smuggled away. Um, given that Yoda was 900, over 900 years old when he died and he was a super old man, I think we, we can general, generally say is that one Yoda species year is about 10 years for for uh for us right in our mm-hmm. world so yoda was basically 90 years old when he died which would have made him like around in his 70s when he was in uh in uh uh you know the the prequels right which which explains right. why he's always an old man for us we never actually see young yoda in his prime um having said that so that means grogu who we know is the age of anakin skywalker is around 50 years old but because one year is 10 years, he's really about five years old, which would explain why he's very childlike. So um, as far as Gideon, clearly they were harvesting Grogu's blood for his M count. That's his midichlorian count, which was, again, introduced in the prequels as kind of a metric for just how strong the force is in you. 
were first introduced to it when young Anakin Skywalker's blood is tested and Qui-Gon announces that's the highest midichlorian count he's ever seen and Obi-Wan chimes in as higher than even Yoda's, uh, which makes sense. Anakin Skywalker is the most gifted force wielder in the history of everything. And that's why he's the chosen one, right? Like, um, so Grogu obviously has an elevated M count, uh, a high midichlorian count in his blood, and they're using it for some sort of experimentation. Um, I don't think it's connected to those super soldiers. I think it's probably the Snoke program, basically, mm-hmm. where uh, they're trying to, you know, create a force wielding being that is, um, that is part and partial of the Empire's return to glory. Hence, you know, Moff Gideon's sign off of Long Live the Empire. So. Yeah, and they use the they use the Snoke score while they were showing us. Oh, did they? Uh, oh, the I did not there. notice that. Yeah, I did not notice that. Yeah, so that that was interesting too. And all right, so there are a couple of uh, miscellaneous Star Wars questions that I definitely wanted to to ask and talk with you about. Um, you and I about uh, I want to say a year and a half ago talked about the Last Jedi, and. Listen, I love that movie. I there was a it was polarizing for whatever reason. I don't know because people are weird like that. But um, I love the Last Jedi. But I always wanted to ask you, what the hell happened to Rise of Skywalker? What the hell? Okay, so I don't. Have you ever seen the original script that they wanted? The original script for Rise of Skywalker? No, I have not. It is amazing. It is every. They should have made it. It was exactly what should have been made. Um. There is no emperor. Uh, Kylo Ren goes deeper into the dark side. Mm-hmm, um, mm. Luke Skywalker's ghost haunts him everywhere he goes as he searches mm. for a Sith holocron uh, on Mustafar in Vader's castle to kind of give him deeper kind of understanding of the dark side of the Force. Um, I think Finn and... Um, Poe Dameron steal a Star Destroyer. Um, I mean, it's like it's a fun movie, and Kylo Ren is bad the whole way through, and Rachel has the whole thing where she hears all the voices of the Jedi past that help her defeat him. It's like this is a movie you should have made, and I think that the powers that be at Disney were so thrown off by how many Star Wars fans didn't like Last Jedi that they made it into, like, this fan fiction appeasing thing. Mm-hmm. Let's make it so that they, like, Kylo really is good, and him and Rey fall mm-hmm. in love, and Snoke was really, because the Emperor, there has to be a big, bad, evil person who's evil for the sake of being evil, mm-hmm. and that's why I really enjoyed Last Jedi, did not like Rise of Skywalker, because I liked the idea of Kylo Ren being a flawed villain, a villain yeah. that you kind of feel like you kind of like. He's he got a point. He's got a point. Like, I'd be mad, too, if this dude was about to kill me. Right. But that doesn't change the fact that he's also an awful person, right? And and has given himself completely to the dark side. There, there didn't need to be redemption for Kylo Ren. And that Rey didn't need to be someone, which is what a lot of fans wanted. They wanted her to be Luke Skywalker's daughter or so-and-so's <laughs> daughter. They wanted her to be someone. And the reality is the Force, as we've seen it throughout the Star Wars universe, is strong in some and weaker in others by chance because the force doesn't do hereditary. The force doesn't do like, you know, um, you know, birthrights. It just does what it does. Right. That was my least favorite recon that the rise of Skywalker did among every, because I hate the rise of Skywalker. I love the last Jedi. And I think the decision to make right. No one was really inspired and great. great. And I think that like the thing I think about, I think of the last shot of the last Jedi where you see like the peasant kid using the force. And I think that that image is something that what makes fantasy stories worth enjoying, which is that anyone can be the hero and like that it doesn't take. And to make it like, you know what? Every every to basically make the decision, no, fuck you. Everything this series has ever been about is just like two families. It's like, come on, like that defeats the purpose. Like that just right. takes away the wonder. Like the whole wonder of Star Wars. Uh, also, I also feel like you really only can do the secret parentage thing once in a franchise. Like it's like, oh, this again. Like we did it right. with first. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, really and, that's, gets- and if you think about, it, those are the big. There's two 
camps when it comes to the second trilogy. There's a camp that's like, stop rehashing and basically remaking the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other camp that's like, why are you doing all of these new things that are different? When yeah. the reality is Last Jedi was, everything in it was canon. Yeah. Oh, how does Leia survive in space? Yeah, it happened in Rebels, uh, Kanan Jarrett said. Oh, how is Luke astral projecting himself? Yeah, it happened in, in Rebels. Yoda does it when he talks to Ezra Bridger. Oh, how, like, everything is, oh, how are they tracking through hyperspace? We've yeah. never had that before. Yeah, well, actually, they mentioned it in Rogue One. Also, I hate that, too, because it's like these are new Star Wars movies. They're allowed to add new things. <laughs> like, they're they're, allowed, they're, they're, like They are, but, like, all of it I, I know. was based on something. Yeah. Nothing in it was like, you know what would be cool if something exactly. did this? Yeah. Everything in there was based on something. The idea that, like, hyperspace tracking was something, a throwaway line in Rogue One. When she's on the base in Scarab and she's looking for the Death Star files, she's thumbing through the files, so and so, da da da, hyperspace tracking. It's there. It's all there. Do you? But like, I felt like ultimately Last Jedi was maybe too inside. Right? Mm-hmm. It was too inside baseball for people to kind of be able to accept in a way. And the people who should accept it, the people who would know stuff, many of them were too married to the romanticized ideals they had in their head for three years, which is, or two years, uh, between, you know, Force Awakens and Last Jedi, which is Rey is secretly Luke's daughter. And, like, they wanted these things, and Snoke is da-da-da. And for Snoke to be killed in the middle of the movie made people go, oh, shit, but wait a sec, what about all my theories about how, like, da-da-da, like, fuck your theories. And not only that, in a very meta way, Kylo Ren gets up and says, you're nobody. All this shit doesn't matter. Fuck the Jedi. Fuck the Sith. Fuck all of it. And if you were really married... It blew people's minds. It made people go crazy. Yep. (laughs) Reminds me of the Joker, um, the Joker Harvey Dent. (laughs) Yeah. Just add a little chaos. Right. No, yeah, the idea that, like, the main thing about the Dark Knight was that the Joker wanted to show nobody out here is a good person. We're all mm-hmm. bad people if we push us. And he took Harvey Dent and he made him into the worst of us, right? And then Dark Knight Rises is all about this world of Gotham that they created on the legend and the myth of Harvey Dent. When in actuality, he really did become an awful human being who was responsible for almost murdering, you know, Commissioner Gordon's son. And Commissioner Gordon has to pretend all day, every day that Harvey Dent was this great guy. And Bane comes and says, no, fuck all that. Everything that you believed in was a lie. And it throws Gotham into chaos. That's what made the Batman trilogy so great, right? Yeah. Like the the idea that it, it exposes these ideals. And what Last Jedi did was give voice to something like I've been talking about in the form of Luke Skywalker, that the Jedi Order was a failure. Yeah. Like they had all the power, all the control, mm-hmm. and they let the Sith Lord come up right under them. And motherfucker sitting right across from Yoda asking Yoda, what do you think? And Yoda's dumbass like, I don't know. I can't say anything. The dark side. I, I, I'm like, he's in front of you. He's right in yeah. front of you. I, that's, I, I'm so glad you said that because I think that that's, so that's something that when I've like rewatched, because this uh, earlier in quarantine, I the prequels were on TNT and I stayed up till five o'clock in the morning watching them because I'm an idiot. But, uh, and I was rewatching them and it's like, I it made me a, Made me realize like, oh wait, I don't know if the problem with the prequels is you really don't. I never know what George Lucas was doing intentionally and what he wasn't. But like, it's so clear that like, yeah, the Jedi are the good guys in this, but they absolutely deserve to lose because like they really like they have all the hallmarks of a failing state, like a failing empire. And mm-hmm. the fact like the idea that the third trilogy would just be as simple as nope, the Jedi were actually all well and good and they're going to come back to glory without any changing anything. It's like, no, they screwed up twice. Like the Jedi order can't fall twice. And then the moral still be everything they did was good and right. And they should just do it again. And, and not only that, but like the idea that Luke Skywalker would have the same optimism. And because mm-hmm. I, I heard even um, Mark Hamill complain about that. That's not the Luke I know. I've lived, with, but yeah, but like you've lived with Luke that was frozen in time as a twenty-year-old, yeah, full of all the wonder and like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and you haven't lived with the Luke who fucked up and 
sent the galaxy back into fucking darkness and blames himself and like the disparity the disparity of oh not disparity but the despair of middle age mm-hmm. Or, and, mm-hmm. like of aging and realizing oh i'm not going to accomplish all the things i set out to do quite the opposite i'm a fucking failure and there's a depression in that that mm-hmm. happens and that's why i loved how it was written i yeah they told it beautifully one of my favorite scenes is the last scene of Force Awakens because she, she travels all this way and she gets and walks up these crazy steps and there's this dude in the hood and he turns around and he's not like she hands the lightsaber to him. He's not like, oh, thank God, I've been looking everywhere for that. You see in his eyes, he's fucking sad. I'm like, I don't want this shit. Why do you think I would come to the end of the the galaxy, mm-hmm. to the most remote place, to an island in the middle of a, a never-ending ocean? You think yeah. I came here to be found? You think it's because so, I came here just because the green milk's so good? Right. Right. Like, no, <laughs> I came here to get away from everybody, to remove myself from everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how people. And I think it's one of those things where people just feel like they want to be right and stuff like that, especially specifically talking about The Last Jedi and stuff like that. You know, notwithstanding all the other stuff um, uh, that happened, uh, you know, Finn, Finn's a role being reduced and mm-hmm. and, and things like that going forward. It, it just felt like, damn, they had something there with The Last Jedi. And, you know, unfortunately, they couldn't build off of that. Now, Eventually, they're going to obviously come back to the movies at some point. Uh, is there anything that you would like to see going forward, or do you feel comfortable with just like looking forward to a brand new slate of characters? Yeah, brand new slate of characters. Um, I think the TV series is doing a good job. If they want to deep dive into people, or or you know, or bring more of the animated characters to life, I'm I'm fine with it happening either in The Mandalorian or other similar television series that are well done and well planned and well executed like Mandalorian is. I think for the movies, they should go either super old Republic, like, mm-hmm. let me see Yoda when he was 200 years old, right? When he mm-hmm. was in his prime at 300 years old. Let me see, you know, let me see when there were, there was no rule of two for the Sith, when there was just Sith everywhere. The Sith Wars and like, oh, mm-hmm. let's see the beginning of the Jedi Order. Let's see just some mm-hmm. things that happened so far back that none of the Skywalker saga is even, mm-hmm. it's not even a twinkle in anyone's eye. Mm-hmm. Or just give me like, I don't know, like give me vastly into the future, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it a new rise of the Sith of a different kind of like just people who studied the scriptures, but they have no bloodline or connection and mm-hmm. a new Jedi Order or whatever. Just new stuff. New people. We can mm-hmm. reference stuff from the from canon, but let's let's stay away from Oh, exactly his great great grandfather or whatever the fuck like. <laughs> yeah. I don't need any of that shit. <laughs> oh man. So to just go for a, a quick lightning round before we get out of here. Um so Abin, are you like a are you like a heavy mcu head or are you just like uh i like the films but you know nothing more i'm not like into like into the story so and where it goes. when when i i in the 80s as i was growing up i had all the comic all the marvel comic books i was very anti-dc back then uh, if young mm-hmm. of me knew 30 years in the future they'd be all fucking awful at everything so <laughs> uh-huh. um so i was i was very marvel heavy very spider-man avengers x-men um, you know, I mean, I remember the Avengers issue where Spider-Man, because Spider-Man's broke, he applies to be a part of the Avengers. They say, we'll take you if you kill the Hulk. And so, cause at the time the Hulk was just this fucking pain in the ass. So Spider-Man goes and actually almost kills the Hulk and he turns into like Bruce Banner. Spider-Man's like, I'm not going to kill this guy. He's just a regular dude or whatever. <laughs> so he doesn't get the job and, he's, and he remains broke. Right. So. <laughs> I was deep into the 80s, and then in the 90s, I fell off because I was in Sudan for most of that time, and so I just, I missed out on a lot of the shit that ultimately became a lot of source material for the MCU, this whole Thanos and all that stuff. Like, for me, it was Galactus, it was mm-hmm. the Heralds, it was Silver Surfer, all, all that stuff. So, I come to the MCU really just a fan of, yeah, there you go, <laughs> I come to the MCU really as a fan of the movies, 
but with limited knowledge of the source material because most of it came from comics that came after I stopped reading comics. So there's some stuff I know in there, but then the, like there's other stuff where like a, I have no idea about, uh, which makes it fun. It makes it good for me because I know who like Black Panther was mm. as soon as I saw him. I saw, saw T'Challa in Captain America Civil War. Like, oh, that's Black Panther. Like, he's going to be Black Panther. Like, I know who that is. But obviously, I don't. And it's enough of a surprise where I'm like, wait till so-and-so shows up. I don't want to be one of those people either. Mm-hmm. Right. AC I, is I, our I, that guy for the pod. Don't kidding. Yeah, I am that guy. Yeah. yeah. Always been that guy. No, you're not. You're not. You're not that. The thing is, you know the stuff, but you're never an ass about it, which is why we love you. Well, you know. I feel like there's a perfect balance of of what we do. I'm I'm really the straight man, and Jake and Jerome do the do the uh, court jester stuff, and yeah. that's how that's what makes our our little trio work. <laughs> but I, I, but I'll be, I, wait, what was that you said, Jake? I, said I restrained myself this episode quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Shame. But um, I, I wanted to ask you. I mean, like. Is it what was what's been your favorite film thus far in the MCU? Is there one that that stands out above the rest? Oof. Infinity War was really good. That was really. Oh, good. I, oh, I'm not gonna rank them. I'm gonna tell you like my favorite one. I I like almost all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the position of this podcast as well. Yeah, they're mostly like good. <laughs> they're mostly good. Uh, I enjoyed Infinity War, Civil War. Uh, Black Panther, the very first Iron Man, mm-hmm. Iron Man three, Thor Wait, Ragnar- uh, Thor Ragnarok. Wait, I I I feel like hold and, on, I got I got to cut you off. What was that about? You said about Iron Man three. What what? Oh, I I like Iron Man three. It's one of my favorites. Wait, why you like See? Iron Man three? I'm just curious. Because uh, I I like I like first of all I like how it starts. Mm-hmm. I like how it ties in, you know, like he's at the conference in Burn. I love anytime they make movies that are based on throwaway lines from other movies. Oh, 100%. Love it. Right? So it's oh. like, oh, mm-hmm. like, you know, in the first Iron Man, when he's in the cave, he meets the the, uh, the other scientists. He's like, we met oh, before yeah. at that conference in Burn. Mm-hmm. And it's just a throwaway line. And then they, they, they create Iron Man 3 based on that whole thing. Like, he's there, and, and that's where, you know, Guy Pierce's character shows up and, and all that shit. I love the Mandarin. Because but, the Mandarin wait, is what? I love the Mandarin. I love the Mandarin because the Mandarin in the comic book was a really racist like a character, like a Chinese <laughs> supervillain on the was. Mandarin. <laughs> I and can't so argue that <laughs> to retro retcon him into okay, he's someone who's Eastern influenced, but it turns out he's just a puppet for all the shit. And I thought Ben Kingsley did a great job. I love. I just I loved it because. For much of the movie, you're like, fuck, this guy's a badass. He's fucking blowing people up. Da-da. And then you realize, oh, no, he's just he's just a drunk, out-of-work actor. Yeah. Which I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I did. I truly enjoyed Iron Man 3. I didn't like Iron Man 2. I thought it no, was terrible. I know how that is. No, but, Iron Man 2 was not. Now, the thing is, I, the reason AC asked is because there is a big point of contention on the pod that AC is a very anti-Iron Man 3 because he hates the twist because he loved the Mandarin as a villain. Not the racist part, I'm assuming, but, you know. <laughs> Uh, but I think I also, yeah. Also, by the way, I like the Mandarin was the main nemesis of Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. and so they kind of said, "Ah, oh, we'll just throw him over here." It would be like if they made Doctor Doom that guy. Like Doctor Doom is kind of a Fantastic Four thing. Like you don't get to use Doctor Doom. You know, I think so, the, the problem with the Mandarin in Iron Man Three ultimately is that once you lose the Mandarin, Aldrich Killian, Guy Pearce's character, is a, is a, just a bad villain like he's just not interesting so like that's that's where i don't like it but ac is just not a fan of the twist which you know what it's fine it's become a running gag and mm. you know uh, to to quote one amina hassan from cinephobe your picks have been horrible man <laughs> i mean jesus what are we doing here uh, uh, I, oh my I, gosh i like iron man 3 has a very high rewatchability for me it what? is a lot of fun to watch it is it's, i mean yeah. Yeah, true there's, a, there's it's, i like no, the action yeah. scene i like it's the, also um, a, the attack also on the shane compound that was like, really good thing. it's a shane black movie even though it's like not mm-hmm. a pure shane black movie. it's not like the nice guys but mm-hmm. it is just in terms of funny dialogue and stuff like that like i don't know if there's a piece of dialogue i like 
not any like more, but of my favorite little scene of dialogue in the whole MCU, just like a little bit that no one talks about, is the yeah. when Maya Hansen, the woman from, they met at Burn, comes in. It's like, you're not going to tell me this is a 12-year-old in the car. And she just says, he's 13, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which yeah. I think is great. Like, little things like that are, like, other MCU movies don't have that. Now, I think I'm I'm a little lower oh, on Iron Man 3 than Amina's, but I do like it. I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the one that has the absolute best dialogue. Like, legit, I laughed the whole time. Was was Ragnarok? Oh yeah, Ragnarok was. Just, probably, that might be my favorite. Ragnarok, and then also one that had to grow on me. It took me a couple of viewings, and I, I have to. Doctor Strange is fucking hilarious, but it's a lot of deadpan, dry humor. Right. Like, it also is really slow. I think the the problem with Doctor Strange is like for the first 35, yes. 40 minutes is just not enjoyable to watch. But once once they get once he gets to uh you know to uh Nepal is when especially I mean Wong is just a great comedic character. He yes. completely blows it in Infinity War, but he's a great comedic character. <laughs> Doctor Strange. Oh oh man Infinity War is, is my favorite part where where is it Infinity No it's it it is Doctor Strange where which one is no it's Doctor Strange where the guy comes into the uh you know the Bleecker Street townhouse and he's like, uh, who are you? Like, Do- Dr. Strange. Like, like Dr. Strange. He's like, Strange. Oh, the Mr. Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. No, he says, yeah. Strange. No, no, he's like, yeah, Mr. Doctor. And he's like, no, it's just Strange. And he's like, like yeah, I know. It is. Like, like that. Like, <laughs> well, it's so. He doesn't say no, it is. Because it's, what's your name? Uh, uh, what's your name? Uh, Mr. Doctor. Mr. Doctor. And he says, Strange. It's like, I don't think like he's like I don't think so like it's uh, I guess Mr. Doctor is not that strange of a name which is I yeah think, that was very well done yeah yeah that, Doctor that Strange has I feel like has aged well yes, it, it's aged well than at the time that I watched it correct for sure it, it's, it's for definitely sure. a, like it, it it grew it is the the highest kind of like uh the most improved for me like on oh. rewatching mm-hmm. uh, whereas someone like it's funny if you go back and watch the first Thor, the first time i watched it i really liked it i thought it was very well done but given the way thor's character develops now you go back and watch that first thor and it's like fucking boring as shit yes correct oh it, yeah it doesn't like thor starting with ragnarok becomes such a comedic vehicle like you know yeah. it, it just you can't go back to seeing thor as a yeah. serious guy like the same thing with Infinity War, the whole like Thor versus Peter Quill kind of uh, one-upsmanship mm-hmm. is fucking hilarious. Like you can't go back, you can't go back from that version of Thor to uh, to kind of just like a regular like oh, oh I'm a god and all that shit. Like it's just, <laughs> Jake, do you have any anything else for me? No, before we I up? I'm just I'm so excited that I mean you were able to join us. Uh, I really appreciate your takes, especially I think that you definitely have what you've had one of the clearer voices on. It's nice to hear someone who's super into Star Wars who doesn't have a lot of the shitty opinions that we heard so much after The Last Jedi. The one thing I will add is not all of them, but I think it I don't think it's a coincidence that like every single YouTube video that's like an hour and a half long that's like why The Last Jedi sucks. I don't think it's an accident that the character in the thumbnail is always one of the female characters. I I don't think that that's an accident. I think that there's a very big Venn diagram between like, uh, you know, misogynists and people who don't like The Last Jedi. Once again, not that you have to, but I think that there's a very big contingent there well, that I think is worth noting. And, and obviously, not to validate those people's feelings, but also it doesn't help when we had the whole like Canto bite woke Star Wars like side story. Mm-hmm. I think that was a very easy lightning rod yeah. for people to attack because it really wasn't well done. No. That's and, the it worst wasn't, part of- and it wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it certainly is uh, what it is. Uh, I mean, want to thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, I really feel like I learned a lot. I'm gonna definitely listen Same. to this back to, to just for some of the uh, some of the nuggets going forward with Star Wars. I'm looking forward to see how the Mandalorian continues. Amin, where can we follow you, sir? At Darth Amin on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, again, the podcasts are in order of no particular order. Excuse me, Cinephobe. That's the podcast where Zach Harper and I review movies that are poorly rated by Rotten Tomatoes and try to ascertain whether they are correctly poorly rated or not 
Um, Black Opinions Matter. That is our culture podcast where we talk about all the news and cultural happenings from the black perspective. Uh, the uh, uh, Dartha means rule of two. That is where we are reviewing the Mandalorian. If you want to go back and listen to that, you got to be at Patreon, patreon.com slash count the things for this particular one. But you can go there and, and listen to a recap pretty much of every episode and some good Easter egg kind of explainers like we just did here uh, on this one today. And, uh, yeah, those are the three main podcasts that I do. And yeah, ESPN shout, and shout, out, shout out to Cinefold, man. Oh, yeah, the, the ESPN thing. He just forgot that whole thing. Yeah. He's on TV and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> big, big TV stuff. But um, shout out to Cinefold, man. Like, really, if anything, mm-hmm. I really recommend. If you don't listen mm-hmm. to Cinefold, check it out. You'll really enjoy it. It's one of the best podcasts out there. They do I don't know when you guys are dropping this. Maze is a Cinefold terrorist. Uh, dropping it tomorrow. Okay, so then it'll drop on the same day as Last Action Hero is the next movie that we Damn, did. that movie has a bad enough review to be on Cinephobe? Oh, it's an awfully reviewed and hated by both critics and audience. That, that's a really good movie. I love it, that it movie. A, I'm going to tell you right now, spoiler alert, but I think mm-hmm. part of it is when it came out, it was like it, it's making fun of action movies uh, and parodying action movies in a very meta way. That at the time, all the action movies were like that. So I think many of the critics and the audience felt insulted that they were being told that the action movies yeah. that they loved were actually dumb. And what's happened now is because we've evolved from a filmmaking standpoint and we expect more of our action movies. We look mm-hmm. back at those dumb action movies of the 80s and 90s, early 90s, and they're like, oh, my God, this is so campy. Yeah. And now we can appreciate Last Action Hero in a way that it could not have been appreciated at the time because it wasn't campy at the time. That's what an action movie looked like. Mm-hmm. Great analysis. And if you want more of that, listen to Cinephobe. I have no doubt yes, that you go. go. You guys go uh, 12. Yes, let's go 12 rounds about that. Cinephobe. Absolutely. Uh, Jay Christie, where can we follow you, sir? You can follow me on Twitter at the Jay Christie. Listen to the other podcast to do with Andre Barrera called No Funk and Strictly Monk, in which we talk about the USA Network original series Monk. Uh, and yeah, just keep following me on Twitter. Follow the show on Twitter. I know you're gonna say it at MC University Pod. Um, AC is doing a lot of the tweeting there, retweeting all the Marvel news. Um, yeah, all she turning it out. Yeah, we're not far away from Wandavision. That should be really fun coming up. Um, I'll get back to Marvel do what with Stephanie Williams sooner than you think. And for oh, and of course you can follow me if you want to on Twitter at Anthony Canton underscore three. And for Amin El Hassan and Jake Christie, I'm Anthony Kant on the third. This has been Marvel Cinematic University. See you next time. Bye.